Verse, chorus, universe, how's it going? DL here, hey, doing this one a little bit differently, okay? Here's the intro. Today, this week, I had Dave on to talk about one of his favorite albums of all time, which is The Millennium's Begin. And I gotta tell you, we got a little lost in it. We just got into the Zoom, into the conversation, and out we went. So the structure is going to be a little bit different, but we're going to dive right in right now. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy our talk about this album, baby. We fit together naturally. Yeah, I'm doing good, Dave. Well, let me, <laughs> I, I got to ask you, man, I don't use music in my podcast. So uh, because I've always... I never really knew there ever. I always got a different answer from people, whether you could or about rights. What's the story, man? Because you use music. So the only music that I use or music that I have gotten the rights to, I've either gotten hold of the band or the label and I've, and I've gotten the permission to use it. Got it. So, okay. So it's going to be a pain in the ass if I want to do it. Yeah. I'm going to file yeah, especially it under not like, worth it. With my delicate psychological mind frame at this point, no <laughs> way. <laughs> especially with a, you know, anytime it's like Columbia, Sony, anything like that, it's just a straight. There's no yeah. way in hell that it's ever going to happen. I've so. toyed with the idea of, I never got a, a straight answer from people. Plus, it's so hard to do it just on its own without starting to add in editing all those other elements. It really is. It's a pain in the ass. I don't I don't know why I do it. But No, but it grabs people. I'm, it's it, there's yeah. an obvious reason why you do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it is a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how do you mind me asking exactly how long has the sh- like when was your first episode there? We started about February th- about 3 years ago. Okay. What is, about you? Is this your day job? No, 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 no. Okay. No, I have a, yeah, I have a money job and then I have this. We haven't started a Patreon. We haven't started anything. I, yeah. could, I could talk with you about that stuff. It's funny. Initially, I had this concept of like a beast that never got full, you know, just in terms of gobbling up content. And that is what it is. There's a lot to be scared of for starting it. <laughs> if you're going to use content as, as chum. Um, yeah. But uh, it's a vibrant community unto itself, aside from the thing, which is kind of cool. But sometimes I want to fucking hang myself. <laughs> how, how long have you been doing it? Uh, it's been just over a year and a half. Initially, it was uh, one of my best friends and myself. And it was a lark. I mean, it was based on the idea. Actually, it was just based on how I listened to music for years and years. I've been doing discographical trawls. That's just for enjoyment. Just listening. For example, John Coltrane, listening to every Mm -hmm. album he ever did in order, reading up about them as I go. And then at the end of it, having this sneaking suspicion that I understood his work better than him because I got to compact it all in a short period and see from a bird's eye exactly what the fuck was going on. My initial co-host and I, he pitched it to me like, hey, this is a very easy way to get a lot of money quickly. That's not exactly <laughs> what he said, but it was kind of like, hey, these things are hot right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm only, comp- we were kind of just building content at first. Initially, mm-hmm. I didn't have a, I didn't have an Instagram. I didn't have Twitter. I hated yeah. that stuff. I'd never heard a podcast in my life. Still don't really like them because most of them suck. You know, I mean, how many of them can be good if there's millions? So I started skewing to a really intense side of things where I was editing out everybody's uhs and ums, editing waveforms. I don't know if you're editing waveforms or text. Okay. I'm not really doing waveform anymore, but I'm still editing stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm editing right now is a 13 hour interview with the association with the two founding members. It's just been sitting there like a giant, whatever. I, I was going to say turd, but it's not a turd. It's like this two ton heavy thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm unbelievably proud of it, but then you know how it is. You're looking at socials and it's like, okay, I did this yeah. as a passion project. And how do I, how can I justify that? Having a four-year-old and a wife, um, yeah. six months in, we had Anthony Fantana as a guest doing the Velvet Underground. And it was our first real audience. And we went from a couple of bums to a peak behind the curtain at what it would be like to have a show that people listen to. 
At that mm -hmm. point, I started getting very serious about it. And I was the one with the nine to five job. He's the working, he's a working musician. So uh -huh. then he started getting, is that Hail to the Thief? Yes, it is. Interesting. I'd have to say it's my least favorite besides Pablo Honey. Is it? It is. I hear a little bit of a connection between uh, a song on this album that we're going to talk about and a little bit of radio head work. I'm feeling like there's a possibility that there's an influence there somewhere for maybe for Tom. Oh, by the way, for anyone that doesn't know what my show is, it's discography and the basic premise is an artist or band, typically a musician, sometimes an author, sometimes a filmmaker. And we take their favorite band and in a completest dream come true, we rate everything from zero to five. I do uh, stupid amounts of research. It's kind of the opposite of an automaton podcast, shoving everything mm -hmm. into chat GPT. And what happens is they become disarmed because they become a music geek, not somebody who's being put on a pedestal. And at their moment of optimal vulnerability, I switch gears into the interview portion. That I cleave out and that becomes a different portion. That's typically what the format is. So I left my career as a licensed hearing instrument specialist to travel cross country with my wife and four-year-old. We left our house. The nut was too big. I was working night and day, night and day, nine hours a day at work, just editing, getting guests, et cetera. My head was just, after all this medical stuff and all the shit in the pandemic, I was like fully on board changing uh -huh. gears. I just happened to have a family. I sometimes give a fuck and, and really give a fuck. And at other times I'm like, this was destined to happen. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't need to yes. explain it to you. Do you find it easy or difficult? Because you just said it, like some of these interviews are nine, 13 hours long. How do you get these artists to sign up for this? Are I, they, I, they're just into it? So what I do is I say, you know, it's probably going to take like an hour and a half. And uh -huh. then there's several things that happen along the way where it's implied that this is going to take forever and that we're both totally on board with it. I've never had anyone grumble about it. Not that it won't happen. It will happen. Uh -huh. But but I'm trying to, as quickly as possible, establish that this is the brand so that people know when they're signing up, I'm going to like save my good shit for this one. So I start with an intro that is the most florid, ridiculously overblown intro. They can immediately tell I've done so much research. Uh, it's almost mind boggling. And <laughs> they're just swept in, activating that part of ourselves. When, so when we were kids, just sitting around in basements, you know, ripping gravity bong hits. Yes. It gets back to that for them. They get to just be a fan again. Yeah. yeah instead yeah. of having to say the same story for the 200th time that they keep having to say on. This is going to be releasing on July 24th. Do you know what will be going on in discography around until, that time? Until October. Yeah. I have three shows a week and they're thematically structured. Each week mm -hmm. is... A theme week. For example, this week is called uh, Wandering Vashti of the Canyons, and it's a long form interview with Vashti Bunyan. Mm -hmm. um, she's rating everything she's ever done. It's not always like that. And then Monday is a bonus show I did with her. Monday is the Vashti Bunyan bonus show. Wednesday is a private press by a woman named Alicia May, who's kind of like a barefoot, patchouli scented, uh, okay, hippie chick kind of thing. 21st is Lorraine. And then 28th is Anthony Fantano, an interview about his origins. That's really... So where's where's home base for you? Right now, we own a home in Vermont, which is where I am right now. Nice. Soothing place to be. Well, Dave, it's really awesome to have you. One of the reasons that I got into this podcast was because I was finding that I wasn't... I wasn't discovering new music anymore, finding shit anymore. And I really missed that. And I started to get into this and... I love the album that you decided to bring because I would say that out of all genres, this genre, which we can talk about what genre you actually think this is next, I am probably the least familiar with. I'd never even heard of this album until you brought it up. It's not a huge record. It's it's as obscure as they come. So what? how would you categorize this as a genre, which you can introduce the album to as well if you'd yeah, like. Yeah, sure, sure. So... This is a very important record for me. It's one of my favorite records of all time. I enjoy music. <laughs> this is a, a real primo example of the form. And the band is The Millennium, and the album is called Begin, 
which if you think about it, is super ballsy. Imagine, yep. imagine Rocky being called Rocky One. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and, and they it, even on the on the back cover of the uh, vinyl, it even says to be continued. Right. <laughs> and it, it was continued for two songs that were rejected as a single. The way it fell into my life, uh, kind of crazy too. So it wound up having an impact on me in that way. I met a guy named Josh. My sister hooked me up with this guy. This was like 1997 or 98. She just thought that we would hit it off. At the time, I was making what I still believe to be the world's only rock opera EP. 17 songs in 27 minutes. It's called Intergalactic Chump, the Super Dan Saga, about a guy who uh, crosses paths with a drug donkey who gives him superpowers uh, to do whatever he wants. And he decides what he wants to do is kill Mike Love from the Beach Boys. <laughs> and then uh, then after that, he kind of doesn't know what to do with himself and his superpowers dissipate. Being just a normal guy, he's all listless and shit, so he kills himself. It's just me. It's a lot of tons of overdubbing and harmonic feels like Brian Wilson was doing around Smile. Uh-huh. While I was in the midst of doing this thing, my sister connected me with this guy who just in the course of hanging out with this guy for one day in his basement bedroom, he turned mm -hmm. me on to, to the Millennium, to the Choir, which is uh, another band that I wound up loving. It's an earlier iteration of the Raspberries. Um, oh, okay. Okay. And a shit ton of other stuff. And then like a couple weeks later, he overdosed in his uh, basement bedroom Oh, shit. Yeah, it's just this weird thing that like left turn in my life. That story is the opposite of what the album feels like, because it's like candy. Yeah. So I, I consider it part of the sunshine pop genre. Sunshine pop okay. is really a wheelhouse of mine. I wouldn't say it's my wheelhouse. It strikes a seriously resonant chord in me, not because it's super Caucasian. The only thing I would push back on that is for the prelude. Right. Because that's fucking 30 years prior hip hop. Hit. That's like a hip hop beat. It is. I'll say now that the prelude, when I first turned this album on and that is what I heard, I had to do a double take. I had to, well, this must have been remastered. This album must have been reconfigured because that beat that you hear in the prelude when it starts, that didn't exist at this time in the 60s. That right. wasn't a thing. Nor nor is it re-explored on the rest of the record. It's no, a, it's not an, at all. It's an intro it's a, and an outlier as well. It's incredible. It was one of the big, it was a big jaw drop moment for me musically to hear that coming out of 1968. That's insane. It is insane. And, and that's uh, mainly to be credited to the guys in the music machine. They're a garage band who did a song called Talk Talk and a bunch of other cool shit. That's mm -hmm. the rhythm section. The, the Millennium are basically, they're not basically, they're a studio outfit. But mm -hmm. it's, it's not like some faceless studio outfit. This was sort of a super group of fledgling songwriters that came yeah. under the direction and megalomaniacal controlling impulses of Kurt Batcher, a producer who took aspects of Brian Wilson's. The funny thing is the Beach Boys are the progenitors of everything that's Sunshine Pop, yet they've yeah. never really made a Sunshine Pop song. The Sunshine Pop genre is kind of built off of the fumes of either Brian Wilson or the California myth. And, okay. and everyone's kind of got their own, I think, vibe of what it means to them. Like to me, Sunshine Pop is not the Turtles Happy Forever. Some people think that's the most Sunshine Pop song ever. There the is. Re the reason is because I define Sunshine Pop as happy and sad conjoined. The best Sunshine Pop has both. Anything by the Free Design. I okay. Mean, the Free Design are the ultimate Sunshine Pop band. The reason why most Sunshine Pop didn't catch on is because it was too fucking trippy for AM and it was too fucking laden with candied harmonies for FM. Yeah. There, there wasn't that Chicago Democratic Convention, riots, Vietnam, yeah. Hendrix, everything heavy. Yeah. This is Electric Ladyland came out, I think, in like the same month that this did. Yeah. You know, this album cost tons <laughs> of It cost a hundred thousand bucks. I think up until that point, it was the most expensive album to make, period, wasn't it? Yeah. 
It was produced by Keith Olsen, who went on to do Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. Uh-huh. Just to give a tiny bit of background, because I think Kurt is an amazing figure. If I ever met him, I would probably shudder to even think about him, because the guy sounds like he was a total prick, but his touch in the studio was magic. So in 1962, we formed a band called the Goldbriars. They had two albums on Epic Records. They were kind of a progressive folk outfit. Some really cool shit. If you want a good example, there's a song called Shenandoah, which is a traditional, but he just creates something transcendent and new with it. And then he formed a production company called Our Productions. Started cranking out endless singles by absolute nobodies that he could basically stick his hand up their ass and move their mouth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then he produced the Association's debut record, which is a total masterpiece. Yes. Cherishes on that. Along Comes Mary. Yeah. That's, amazing. Yeah, it's so good. Then late 66, he was in a band that he formed called The Ballroom. Again, you know, produced by Kurt and Keith Olsen. Their record wasn't released and it kind of didn't go anywhere, but he started tripping started doing acid uh -huh. and what it started to become really inten intensely focused on trying to produce a, a sort of assembly line of fantastic music that was inspired by acid experiences but that would mm -hmm. also recreate them sonically or as spaceman three once put it taking drugs to make music to take drugs to <laughs> very uh yeah very pet soundsy kind yeah. of was anybody in the ballroom with kurt that did the millennium album only sandy okay sandy okay. was the only carryover but there was another act in between so in spring 67 the ballroom broke up gary usher who kind of looms large in the early beach boys story and the birds he produced notorious yeah. birds brothers he was working on something, a project called Sagittarius, which really was a, a much closer in spirit dry run for the millennium. Okay. Kurt overtook that project. Once that was done, Columbia basically gave him a blank check. That was the millennium. So you have Ron Edgar and Doug Rhodes from the Music Machine, Lee Mallory, Sandy Salisbury, Joey Steck, and Michael Fennelly, who later formed Krabby Appleton. Yeah. These guys basically took all their disparate writing styles and perspectives, and they would just keep swapping partners, started to blend their aesthetic until it was like a collective unconscious pool. One thing that I wanted to ask you while we're getting into the personnel on this album, I just couldn't find that much on it. What part did Gary Usher play in this album? He was more producer, right? He wasn't. He didn't play a part. I don't believe so anyway. What I do know is that as far as production goes, it was Kurt and Keith Olsen. Kurt would have these batshit crazy ideas that would not really be achievable unless there was a Keith Olsen there. As somebody who brought this album, who thinks so highly of this album, would you call this the pinnacle of Kurt's writing? Unquestionably. There's no doubt about it. With someone that's so prolific, he had production companies where he was cranking out stuff. To mm -hmm. discover the best thing that someone ever did and then to have boatloads of other material that's just not as good is obviously sad, but we can't control these things. And he ended up dying really young, didn't he? He died in his, so like early 40s. Yeah, way too young and it was AIDS. He had a kid, but he discovered he was gay. I, I don't know when he came out, but you know, his career had such a weird, twisty, windy like even really did. even uh, Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John. You know that part? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so Elton couldn't hit that. That's Kurt. Really? Yeah. Did he end up or before work with the Beach Boys? He unfortunately worked with the Beach Boys in the late 70s. And then I'm going to ask you another personnel question while we're on it, because this is something I really had a hard time finding. Did they switch off? Because I know that all these guys were proficient in instruments, but as far as bass specifically, do you know who played bass on this album? Yeah, it was Doug Rhodes. So I'll tell you up front that I was incredibly impressed. That was the initial thing that stuck out to me the bass throughout this entire album when you're talking about late 60s music bass has to be prominent but the things that doug is doing in this sunshine pop some of it's not all that sunshiny he does such a good job of carrying the rhythm through this entire album you know it's you know what band that you're talking about this and i'm thinking about dungan oh okay because yeah. because most <laughs> modern acts that try to ape the 60s 
They don't yep. get the fucking fat bottom. The fat bottom is gone. It's just like yep. a bunch of the, I, I'm not a self-hating white person, but it just sounds like a bunch of white guys <laughs> fucking around, you know? How long did it take them to record this? I don't know exactly, but it was a long time. And the process was this, and this is, this is why it costs so much money. The instrumental track and the lead vocal would be completed. Then he would get all the guys in the studio and create harmonies person by person in the studio. So he's workshopping and spitballing on studio time. It's partially $100,000 because it's incredibly elaborate. And also because I'm going to say it like this only because it's rude. That penis head was, was <laughs> like his process was more important than the welfare of everyone else. So what yeah. happened was that $100,000, that bill was handed to the whole band. They they not only never received any money, but they owed the label for it. And that was because of Kurt and the way he produced it. I saw it was the, I think it was the second album ever that used a 16 track. Yeah, but it, yeah. W it wasn't actually a 16 track technology. I'm glad that I went back and reread the liner notes. I actually took this with me on vacation. Is that the, the Magic Time, the yeah. compilation album? It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Keith Olsen soldered two A-tracks together. It's so funny. These massively expensive projects were all fucking Elmer's glue and popsicle sticks yeah. together. <laughs> is it, how crazy is that? Like you, yeah. you read about George Harrison or Tom Dowd, the whole world is holding their breath for the new song by whoever. And they're producing it by running tape around pencils. Yeah to create loops and things like that. It's wild. Yeah. So in, in June 68, It's You was released as a single backed with I Just Want to Be Your Friend. Didn't even crack the top 100. The record company, the Columbia or CBS, CBS had no idea how to market it. I don't understand why you would spend so much money and then not really try, but. I don't understand why this, why they wouldn't consider this marketable either. As far as psychedelic rock, it's not as overindulgent as your typical psychedelic rock. It right. is a lot more pop friendly. It is. But as far as like sunshine pop, there's more that I feel like an FM would be able to play. It surprises me that this wasn't, they didn't consider this marketable. They just let it die. Also, another thing that fucking killed them is this was a studio outfit. They did not tour. I, that really hurt them. And that hurt, you know, another band from that era that it just destroyed them was love. Drugs destroyed them too, but not touring, that didn't help. You know, because the Doors, similar outfit, you know, LA, they toured, they played the game to a certain extent. Why did these guys not tour? Kurt was just not into it. It almost feels like this had a super group feel and maybe that's just because it was a one album thing. Well, I think just the amount of songwriters and the illusion of democracy, total illusion. As Michael Fennelly said, we were fairly engrossed in a group cult mentality. So he was trying <laughs> to kind of break down the essences of what made these people shine because they were, they didn't necessarily need him to shine as talents. He synthesized all these different attributes these people had and made it a singular thing. That's interesting because as far as writing credits, Kurt only has, what, six tracks that he's credited? Finally, I think Fennelly is crucial. Um, it Won't Always Be the Same is one of my favorite songs of all time. In fact, the stretch from It's You, It's You, Some Sunny Day, and It Won't Always Be the Same is, one of my, is in my opinion, one of the great three-song stretches of any album. So I'm really glad you said that because... I was not 100% on board with this. I mean, just like any album, it's going to take you a while to figure it out. And I'm not even sure if I still have it figured out. But once I hit It's You, the B-side is really when I started to notice how fucking good this album is. It gets weirder. It gets weirder on the B-side. Yeah, but it also gets... The harmonies get a little more complex it won't always be the same. The song you're talking about has this amazing, I'm thinking that maybe like Beck was influenced by it. Maybe some artists like that. You do get into that build into the chorus. You feel that. That's a fantastic song and the harmonies are incredible. You've got that kind of twangy guitar going on, which you don't really hear in the rest of this album. Yeah. It's really 
really cool. I love the feel of that song. It, it, it's really transportative to me. I don't understand exactly what it... Some Sunny Day you could easily categorize as sunshine pop. But yep. it's you and it won't always be the same. I don't really know how to describe those songs. They're definitely pop songs, without a doubt. Yes. The grasp of melody is intense. Well, Some Sunny Day has this, I do think it relies a lot on the bass line, like I've talked about, which is very, it's essentially the bass line from My Girl. Do, do, yeah, do, yeah, do, it do, is. Do, do, do. It's exactly what it is. Yep. Which, how can you not like that? Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? In fact, <laughs> I, I, it's funny. I ne- it never crossed my mind, but it's an exact replica of it. And and then it's doubled on vibes too. I think it's great. I think it's funny that you started it with those three songs because that is really when I started to kind of find my wave with this album. It's funny. This is not, you know, Zeppelin or anything. But whenever I listen to this, and I just listened to it before we did this, I make it so loud. There's so much richness in the production, and there's there's yes. so much conviction in, in the singing. Incredibly. Oh, absolutely. Whenever you have lyrics that are about the song itself, I'm a sucker for shit like that. <laughs> yeah. I like that you said that, too, because... Sunshine popped to me. I think one of the things that I always just, I mean, I didn't, it wasn't a throwaway for me or anything. I just never got into it. And I think one of the reasons is, is when you hear it with broad strokes, it's, it's just elevator music, right? It's, you really have to get into it. I like that you brought up Zeppelin because if you listen like karmic dream sequence, for example, mm-hmm. there's a little trippy Zeppelin stuff going on there. Yeah. You I would know? say Zeppel- like, Zeppelin three. Some like yeah, uh, on the absolutely. Side, yeah, I feel like there is a lot more to this than I love albums that I feel like if I would have heard it without knowing that I needed to listen to it, it probably just would have been in the back of the room not paying attention. But then when I sit there and you know I'm in my couch in my room with a scotch and the albums on, it really kicks your ass. Yeah, let me ask it's you. Awesome. About, let me ask you about drinking. So you obviously love drinking. I I do. I don't. I drink on the weekends. Oh boy! Anyone who starts with that is an alcoholic. I'm <laughs> yes. just kidding. I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> I I watch my. I stare at my watch until Friday yeah, at five yeah. o'clock. <laughs> Mopping cold sweat with a giant yes. towel. <laughs> yep. Um, well, hiding look, the shakes in my work meetings. Yes, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. The behavior and activities that go behind making this podcast legitimize what would otherwise be disturbing behavior from a 51 year old married man with a child. <laughs> and that's half the reason why I do this because I don't even know where to take it from there. But really, that is the case. I, I know exactly what you mean. Yes, I have to listen you- to so much music, but I listened. To this much music previous it's just that there was no justification to do it i was being self-serving exactly i'm a filmmaker i mean first and foremost this was a deviation that i i didn't see coming because uh podcasts suck i <laughs> you know i never before honestly before we started the podcast i think i'd heard two mark Marin episodes and that was it i started a career as a hearing instrument specialist squashed all this stuff down for a few years, was successful in what I did. Then I got cancer, severe spinal stenosis, two surgeries on my neck. I was off work for a year. Enough of these kinds of things happen. And you realize that really, it's truly not just in a conceptual way. This is all just illusion. You had something happen to you medically very recently that we actually had to postpone this i came very close to bleeding to death i had a hemorrhoidectomy which is not a sexy operation jesus Um, and you know it's almost laughable like you know a hemorrhoid but it was an internal one that saturday the 22nd i did a three-hour interview with joel sullivan about jim gordon the drummer who killed his mom in so much pain and on so many opioids i should have overdosed 36 hours later i got to the hospital just in time i, I bled out I, I was bled all the way to the hospital and had to have a double blood transfusion this is how i know i'm just too far gone with this show i am on fentanyl ketamine they had a guy come in and put everything in me. And I was, I just looked at her and I said, you're not going to believe this, but you know how the Beatles had the monkeys? The monkeys had their own monkeys and they were called the chimps. I wasn't even, I had just posted an episode <laughs> that morning about them. 
I wasn't selling her. I wasn't trying to convert her. This shit is on my mind as I'm bleeding to death. It was the only week that I didn't post three episodes. I posted four. What was the fourth one though? It was a nine minute episode about how I had just done his blood. There. <laughs> well, I basically just performed it live for you. Well, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're okay. Yeah. Have you seen interviews or heard interviews or, or heard anyone talk on why the label didn't do anything with it? Didn't try with this album? No. The only thing I know is they went back in the studio. The idea was to cut another record. Oh. They recorded two songs, Blight and Just About the Same. Blight is pretty good. Just about the same is great. And it was later recorded and released as a single by the association. So they came out with Magic Time, which is this compilation album in 2001, yep. which has a bunch of the ballroom stuff, the Millennium album. And then I think it has those tracks on it too, right? The yeah, extras. it does. It does. And it's yeah. on the, uh, those two tracks are actually on the initial CD release of the record, which is also fantastic. I'll read this from the liners here. Two of these blight and just about the same were scheduled for release as a new single, but the songs were rejected by Columbia A&R man Jack Gold, who, according to Betcher, in a 1974 zigzag interview, called them a piece of shit. And judging by what you've said, it, it's probably a Kurt thing, right? Kurt was just controlling. I mean, Joey Steck said, we worked well together. The biggest problem was Kurt. He was a control freak. No one has anything nice to say about him. During this association interview, I was so psyched to talk with them about Kurt. Man, did they hate him. You know, because he was trying to remake them as a bunch of Kurt Betchers. They did not need Kurt. I mean, Kurt, his production on that record is astounding. The material's great. The songs are great. Everyone's firing on all cylinders, but they have nothing nice to say about him. They never worked with him again. As a person who has been a fan of this album for however long now 26 How long? years and you also said that you are big into sunshine pop what is it about this album you find that makes it unique in comparison to other sunshine pop bands and projects that is actually an easy question to answer because most sunshine pop is going for an emotional connect but this is a statement record just as much as mm. blonde on blonde or this is a document of a perspective and it is very spiritual, which is crazy because it sounds like a mama's and papa's kind of thing. It totally does. Totally light and frothy, like a meringue. Mm -hmm. And but yet coursing through that are these amazing sentiments, some of which are in the last track. There is nothing more to say. These folk homilies and couplets that jump out at me as incredible, profound. They're probably just words. I mean, Kurt never achieved these heights again. None of these guys did, I don't think. Yeah. Perhaps they're just words, but they're inspiring ones to me. And they're sung with tremendous conviction. There's also a little bit, in, especially in the second half on a few songs of, uh, of the late 60s, Damn the Man kind of thing, it seems like. The you whole... Like, uh, like uh, conservative society being plastic kind of thing? Y yes. Yeah. yeah. You only let me see what you have planned for me. Yeah. Stuff like that. That's um... exactly right. So it's you... And that line specifically is about the nation's coverage of the Vietnam War and how okay. very little of it was getting through to people. And so it's gussied up. It's specifically meant to sound lyrically like it's about a boy and a girl. Okay. So it's a Trojan horse is what I mean. Is yeah. Typically, the sunshine pop genre is not... a. It's not that there's no depth. It's just not typically a Trojan horse. Steely Dan, the sleek sophistication of their arrangements... It's a uh -huh. Trojan horse for sordid, seedy tales about drug dealers and prostitutes. Yes. Okay. I want to talk about, actually, I want to ask you about Anthem, the last song in the original release. Help me understand what you feel they were going for. I'm going to read in the liners from Sandy Salisbury. Kurt and Doug were the minds behind this one with Lee and I throwing in our two cents. I love this little abstraction our tribute to the great exasperating CBS. It reminds me of when I sang tenor in high school. I think it was just kind of an afterthought. <laughs> if there's one track I wish, it's not that I wish it wasn't on it. I don't think the record really needs it. I kind of feel the same way. It was the one song where I either felt, as a listener, I will oversimplify sometimes. 
and oversimplify what I mean by that on a song like Anthem is I'm almost like, oh, well, I was probably meant to be on acid if I'm listening to this. Either that or since they do the whole CVS thing, maybe it was just a fuck you to the label or to whatever, which I think both of those can be an oversimplification because it's still art. It's still something that they wrote and they manufactured and they created. That is one song where I felt like I don't get it. I need something else to help me get it. Yeah, I certainly can connect with what you're talking about because I don't dislike it, but when I hear it, I always wish it kind of wasn't there because gotcha. there is nothing more to say. It's such a knockout punch for me. I it is. I don't want any more after that. There's nothing more to say. It's got kind of a Strawberry Fields Forever vibe to yeah, it, kind of. Yeah, definitely. But that, that's a great comparison. Again, never thought of that one myself, but it, it it has a similarly regal profundity about it. Regal is a great word. Absolutely. Yes. It's That's... Still, it has that vibe to it. A very similar thing. What is your wheelhouse? <laughs> the easy answer to that because of my age and I'm a Northwest guy is the grunge era. You know, I grew up studying jazz, so I, I love jazz. Are you a Keith Jarrett fan? Yeah, absolutely. So do you know about Restoration Ruin? Yeah. Yeah. The Monday show. Sometimes it's either Rock Cousteau, which is a buried treasure thing, or Queasy Listening, which is, you know, Don Henley's The End of the Innocents. Restoration Ruin, I'm going to do as a Queasy Listening. Keith Jarrett was, I shouldn't say was. I should, Well, I can say was because he's not active anymore, right? He stopped a few years I don't ago, know. I think. I, I mean, he's, as, he, he's pretty old. As far as he goes, I've only heard... Restoration Ruin, Treasure Island, and the Colton Concert. Yeah, I more know him just because he played with Miles Davis for a while. Right. What else is your, your wheelhouse? <sighs> I don't know. Wheelhouses. I do really love the Radiohead style stuff. Post-punk. I just read Meet Me in the Bathroom, which is the early yeah, 2000s yeah, New York City stuff, like Interpol and the Strokes and TV on the radio. Just a, just a footnote here. Your podcast is, what percentage of it is interview? It's like 90%, right? As opposed to what? We do four to five interviews a year. Oh, and okay. And all the other episodes are talking about a specific year in music or a specific album or you yeah, know, things yeah. like that. Dude, when we so, started off, when, when it was Joe and I, there was never talk about guests. It was just going to be he and I rapping about music. Yeah. It became this whole other thing. And now, honestly, I feel like the success of the show, uh, at least in this point of hist in history of the show, because I don't know if it's a mental change or if it's an mm -hmm. actual change out there. Fuck, my train of thought just evaporated because I'm smoking way too much weed trying to keep up with your drinking. <laughs> Um, <laughs> cheers <laughs> cheers <laughs> it feels like the success of it from week to week is based on somebody's acuity in social media for five weeks i had david paho it was a great series like something i'm very proud of but yeah. i also knew it was going to be a success because he has x amount of followers he acceded 100 to my you know what i wanted out of it which was I'm going to ask for you to be an Instagram collaborator on all the posts that uh -huh. I do during this time. Just accept all the invitations. You have got a really good niche that I haven't seen yet in the musical podcast world in the really intense, in-depth interviews you do. Yeah. My, the show's popular. It's in the top 2%, rated in the top 2% globally of all podcasts. You rate very high as well. Do you know about listen notes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean that, that, oh my God, I'm so great for having achieved this thing because I don't know about you, it doesn't feel that way to me. Not at all. It doesn't Not feel that all. way at all. Ultimately, and I don't know how you, your relationship with your show, but I feel like truly on a mission. I mean, I don't have the fucking code figured out i'm not sure if i will like i said i think we're three years in and maybe i'll do this for two more years and then have to call it i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen you know hopefully not i, I know what's gonna happen but not specifically what is gonna happen is this thing is generating opportunity uh -huh. none of them has actually come to fruition yet I'm going to go back to the millennium 
on our pod, we have an award that's called the uh, Mark Lanigan True Rockstar Award. If somebody were to force you to peg these guys as rock stars, what do you think it is about them that makes them that or makes Kurt that, whoever you think? I don't see them as rock stars. I see a strange amalgam of, again, that group cult mentality, but also this psychodrama that that's unfolding that is reflected back in them not just the music but the lyrics it's a situation that's looking at itself which is a bizarre thing to be witness to because you're watching them watching it and themselves i like the phrase psychodrama and it is because i think it was always kurt pulling strings and stuff and trying to indulge in machinations that some of the group have come to peace with and some definitely have not. And also, he did everything in reverse order. I mean, no one really did things this way. He got his co-producer, then he got the record deal, then he put his uh-huh. fucking then he put his fucking band together. <laughs> <laughs> Which, that fits more into that whole one album studio supergroup type thing. And I too, I see them as a supergroup, but they're definitely not in a traditional way. Just in the idea that he purposely got a bunch of talented people, not just people he, he could control. He could have made his life a hell of a lot easier, but he got people who, not everybody was 100% headstrong, but there were a number of people in that band who were. So he didn't choose a simple path for himself. I want to ask you about the album structure because I pointed out that I'm much more of a B-side of this album fan. Yeah. Where do you stand on that? I don't have a preference except that, because I really believe for me, the album is perfect. I used to not like the song, I'm With You. Now I love that song. And so I find no fault with the record whatsoever, except possibly that that piece that you brought up where it just Anthem. feels like, yeah. just What was it about that song that you didn't like that you like now? It felt so syrupy. I it mean, really, like, it, yeah. Like, Wow, like like soaring angels and a choir of female singers. I think that's one of the humps that I got, had to get over on this album is even though it has kind of a nuanced doorsy feel, I just want to be your friend. It was hard for me to get over that hump being that it's the third song mm-hmm. because for me that was that's a really syrupy I just want to be your friend like Okay, come on. Yeah. Okay, man. Come on. Yeah. And and you either buy what they're selling or you don't. But man, they have something like left of center that they're selling. So this album is not for everybody. I think that was the big thing is the fact that that was song three. But then, like I said, as far as the structure, once I once you get to the B side, and especially the, I'm not sure how much it fit but i absolutely love it is the the know-it-all song yeah yeah i love that rhythm it's so good yeah Yeah. it really is yeah it's cool it's infectious and like a like a bad rash you know you're talking about the structure of it a lot and it's something i pay a ton of attention to yeah the way i don't know how you keep notes i'll put the track listing down Mm -hmm. and if it's a good song i'll bold it if I think it's a great song, I'll bold and italicize it. Oh, and, okay. And so for me, what that gives me is I'm actually I'm actually able to see how exactly how good the album is without having to guess. Because at the end of it, sometimes it's hard to arrange in your head exactly. But you can yeah. I can actually see it as a thing, almost like a place where like certain pockets are less desirable and things like that. Your extensive knowledge as far as seems like all bands from this era and not only bands, but artists. We do another award on our podcast sometimes when we're talking about albums called the John Paul Jones award. If you could put anyone into this album, you think might add something or take them out. Are there any artists of the time or maybe not of the time? Yeah. Charles Lloyd. Okay. Because uh, there's an airiness to the production that would lend itself very well to his flute playing. I'm not familiar with everything he's done, but. I love Forest Flower. I love his work with the Beach Boys. I don't know if you've heard those songs. That's some of the best shit I've ever heard. I mostly just know like his Blue Note stuff, like his real, his jazz, jazz stuff. I don't, Mm -hmm. we talked about Pet Sounds on the podcast this year. You know how there are some of those bands 
that you just not necessarily a fear thing, but you know that if you get into them, it's going to be a fucking problem. <laughs> yeah. I've always been like that with the Beach Boys. So I've, I really, I know the Beach Boys, obviously, and I know their influences and influencees and, uh, they're, 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 they're my all time favorites. I mean, it's my first tattoo as well. I don't have a lot of tattoos. But oh, smile. smile. Tattoo. <laughs> um, yeah, they're profoundly good. And what's uh, insanely interesting about them is they're also simultaneously really bad. And, <laughs> and because there's elements in that group where it's like not just undesirable, but anti-creative. Are you referring to specific eras? Oh, eras? No, I'm are you, talking about like, people. Are you, are you talking about like Kokomo? Or are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, the Beach Boys are my favorite band, but they were only amazing for 15 years. After that, they've been past their due date. They had their comeback record, which was really good. That idea that they were bad all along as well, because it was really Brian Wilson. It wasn't yeah. like the rest of the guys were. Yeah. They, they wound up doing great stuff because they had to pull when brian was busy eating um, <laughs> but you know it's uh conceptually just endlessly interesting to me to think a band can be the best but yet be simultaneously good and bad i'm still like it's gonna take me years to figure uh pet sounds out have you really forget about pet sounds have you ever dealt with smile oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. actually when i started researching pet sounds like really really getting into it i did simultaneously start listening to smile and smiley smile yeah i think i knew more smile and smiley smile than i did pet sounds smile is astounding i think smiley smile is as well that whole era friends friends is amazing they're all very special records and there was a lot of it's just very very creative it's so well done too yeah you've written stuff you've been in studios before and things like that Doing things like finding the right harmonies and knowing how they should be mixed and mastered, it's such a harder thing than people give credit to. And the Beach Boys did it better than anybody. I think the best harmonies ever. Obviously, there's you know different schools of thought on that. Again, you have the fraternal thing, which you cannot replicate. That, yeah. That's just something that is a given. Yep. But then also there is, not in a facile way, like an echo in the canyon, but in a mm -hmm. really profound way about what the California myth is based upon. I think that the wind that blows through the California dream was, was supplied by their vocals. I think that there's a breeziness to it that without actually putting words to it, that informed that feeling more than anything else. There are a lot of good hooks on this catchy choruses and things like that. It is very sixties. Do you have any favorite hooks on this or a favorite hook that just catches you every time? Yeah. When you think it, 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 it's not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. And, uh, it won't always be the same. But also, yeah. you know, to Claudia on Thursday is an embarrassment of hooks. It, it really is just like hooks upon hooks upon hooks. The whole thing is a fucking hook. And it's yeah, got, that bass line, that repeating bass line. Yeah. It's so catchy. First of all, right away, you're like, wait, this isn't like Led Zeppelin, like the first, like the intro track <laughs> led me to believe. It's yeah. in fact the opposite. It's in fact like super wussy. Like anyone who only listens to ballsy music, don't even just... Don't listen to the actual album. Just enjoy the yeah. podcast. So one of my co-hosts, his nickname is Evil. Like we actually cut, and he's he's a great great dude. But he's very like he wears sleeveless shirts, and his favorite band is Van Halen. Right. I would right. not ask him to listen to this album. No. <laughs> you know, I had uh, Jim Florentine on the show doing Black Sabbath. Ah, did you really? Yeah, yeah. Jim was supposed to come on for an hour and I was sweating it because that's not the appropriate amount of time for Black Sabbath. Yeah. And, and my notes, and I'm not even joking, were 91 pages. Holy fuck. So <laughs> I was nervous because I was trying to shoehorn this into his availability. And we, uh -huh. went, and we went five hours, not like no, <laughs> no breaks. And at the end, he said, this is the longest interview I've ever done in my life. So would you say that Anthem, an easy answer as far as least favorite song on the album? Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's what, a minute and a half, I think. So it, it doesn't yeah. really, it's more of an a, It's an more intro. of an outro. Yeah, there's an intro and an outro. The intro 
is like a groundbreaking piece of music. And then the fucking outro is superfluous. I feel the exact same way. Yeah, I really do. So we've gone through most of the album. I think we've talked at this point. I feel like we've talked about every track. We have, we have not, sir. What are we missing? We didn't talk about 5 a.m. 5 a.m., yeah. which I actually don't know if you know this. Uh, number one, it does capture that nocturnal vibe very well. But yep. it was number one in Singapore, which is very odd. Whenever I hear stuff <laughs> like that. it's like, Was it really? Uh, yeah. It seems like this was the only song that did okay from this album, right? Yeah. Right now I'm looking at the Spotify and it's all kind of nothing, nothing, nothing. And then like 5.5 million downloads for 5 a.m. Oh, is it? Is that right? Yeah. Then I'm With You, which was written, I think, about 11, which had just occurred. The Island. The Island is cool. We didn't talk about The Island either. Yeah, The Island is cool. My wife and I... That's great. My my wife always references it in idle conversation, which means I did something right here. (laughs) So (laughs) this is the song. I hear a lot of concepts and themes from How to Disappear Completely by Radiohead. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Drums are really just doing kind of a bass thump. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a tambourine hit. I believe it's not quite as like, holy shit, you're totally spot on as the Some Sunny Day My Girl reference is like exact. I'd have to hear it to make the match. I like to think that this album from the structure and what they're doing, really being influenced by it. But I do, I love the song. The song, The Island is great. It's awesome. Although it's middle eight is a little bit perfunctory if I'm going to nitpick. It feels like all of a sudden a fourth grader wrote it and then it's back into the sophistication. The The island, the island is calling. It sounds like a fourth grader wrote it. The island. Yeah, and there's kind of like the wane. It's a little bit like, (laughs) why did you feel like you needed this part? No, that's true. Sing to me, we didn't talk about. That's kind of a minor song, but I still like it. I I still think it's, it's really super 60s. If yes, somebody was yeah. to do a cabaret production about 60s life, dun, it would dun, sound like sing dun, 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 dun. Yeah, 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 exactly. Absolutely. Horns yeah, 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 yeah. and fucking Tom Jones shit and all that yes. stuff. But I still, like, even the moments that I initially didn't cotton to, eventually the entirety of the frame of the thing, every time I listen to it, I like every, there's no uh, song where I check out or anything. This is an important work of art, I believe. You could tell the care that went into it. Just like if uh-huh. you were a, a kid today. I don't know if they would notice or not notice if they went back and looked at how animation used to be. You look at the hand-drawn cells of Fantasia, uh-huh. and they may not think this is better, but they, they'll they be able to tell that it was their mom's lunch and not going to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I feel like the people that listen to this podcast are either they have a hand in music or they or they're just obsessed with it or they do. They they like doing their own production or they're indie artists or things like that. This is such an amazing album to listen to and get a feel for sound. And I've talked about the harmonies and we talked about the bass, but even the like, yes, the drums sound very 60s. But I think the mastering is just so well done here. Yeah, yeah. You know, nowadays, the vocals are fucking 800% higher than everything else. And it's bass, it's snare, and it's vocals. And this album is such a good study in how to make an actual full band sound. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, they were barely a band. They yeah. were really yeah. just kind of like peace. To be continued paste, my paste, ass. Yeah, guys. exactly. What? Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's one aspect that this record has that is a theme and a thread that runs through all of my favorite records. It is a self-contained, fully independent sound world. I don't have synesthesia, and I'm jealous of people who do. With most of my favorite records, there does feel like there's a geography to the place, like it's an actual place. Smile was the first indicator that I felt that way. The styles and the formats are so different that they feel like partitions of a, of a country or something, or it's a town or something. That's awesome. Okay, I'm gonna, I wanna ask you a hard question now. Please, come at me. What are, your three, favorite, what three are your favorite, three favorite songs on this album? Uh, eight, nine, and 10. So it would be- Oh. It won't always be the same, followed by 
it's you followed by some sunny day so it really is that eight nine and ten just it really it's just a does very it. special trifecta to me it won't always be the same is probably my third favorite that is just such a man driving up to the mountains for the weekend this song is the soundtrack for that that amazing intro to the change into the chorus it's it's fucking awesome it's fantastic yeah, yeah it really is I'm glad you like it. Are you pretending, by the way? Because Absol- no, absolutely not. Okay, absolutely not. Just to let you know, I've pretended in a couple episodes. And I, I'll tell you, the first couple listens of this, mm-hmm. I was do, I was like, shit. How am I gonna be nice about this? No, no. Listen, but- I, I had a guest on, and he wanted to do a specific artist. I was given everything zeros. I hated it. <laughs> it's you. A second favorite song. What was number three again? It won't always, always be, be the same. same. Okay. I think that is probably the best song the album. But, and this is a little, I don't know if this is insane or not. My favorite that I'm giving to this, just because it really, I'm not kidding. It just baffled me that it came out when it did. And it's the prelude. Yeah. The sounds that they were doing, I don't think they had any idea how ahead of their time, the sounds they were doing was. Yeah. And that was uh, actually a single and it should have been a single. It was, it definitely was the song that should have been a single, I believe. I don't think anyone was up for the challenge back then of, now with the internet, it's so simple to, at least yes. in theory, to have a band like Krangbin that takes a million influences, blends it into a paste, and then becomes superstars. Back then, they probably threw their hands up because <laughs> it's you know it's uh, it's a it's a big it was a big ass. Those are my three favorites. I still think that my favorite part of this album, and like I said, I'm still I've actually lived with it for a couple months now, and 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 listened to it quite a bit do but you like I'm big still... grand statements typically yeah yeah why not <laughs> what's your favorite rock opera oh god uh i don't want to say anything but tommy but <laughs> <laughs> rock opera is do you consider like ziggy stardust rock opera no that feels like more of a concept album flying teapot you know gong i do know gong i haven't heard i haven't yet gotten into them so then if I say like The Wall by Pink Floyd, is that just too, is that the easy way out? No, no, it's not the easy way out. I like the simple ones. I like uh, Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf. I think yeah, that's great. That's a great that's, record. That's fantastic. What right. about you? What's your favorite? I don't know if you would consider Smile a rock opera or a concept album. If you consider it a rock opera, it's definitely Smile. Well, if you get to use Smile, I get to use Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> that seems fair enough. I'm trying to see. I have, I do have a list of my top 50 albums of all time. I was going to end this with asking you, but I'm going to ask you it now. What is your favorite album of all time? Oh, it's definitely Smile. Is it? My top three in order are Smile, Pet Sounds, and Astral Week. As far as Begin by the Millennium, right now my favorite part of the album is still probably Doug Rhodes. Can't get over the bass in this album. Yeah. Do you have a favorite aspect of this album? It would be the production touches. There's so many. One of the reasons to listen to it loud is so you can sort through so many treats there's like infinite easter eggs whooshing around in this almost like the hurricane in the wizard of oz like you got this <laughs> swirl of shit that's just floating in the air around you <laughs> a bunch of cows and yeah there's certain movies like that that are shot in a wide angle and the film can be a different film every time the big question of the night you do think this is a perfect album like is it this I is do. a 10 out of 10 for you i do i mean like i said there's like 10 seconds that i'm like uh but yeah. that really, that's it. It's in my top 20 or what have you, something okay. like that. Yeah. I mean, that's really the millennium. That's begin. Yeah. Any profound statements to end off with this album? Not really about the record. I, I think we covered it with a discography style level of obsession and thoroughness, <laughs> which I totally connect with and love. I will say that endeavors such as the ones you and I are embarking on are really important, I think, to switch the focus entirely on the mission, that the joint mission that you and I are both on. There's a great swell of people who think this is a valid way forward. It's an act of littering the information sphere that allows and justifies the term content. I don't feel like what I do is content. With Patreon, I do three a week of stuff that is not just trying to fill time. You're doing the same thing and it's coming from your soul. It's important that the tombstones that are littering the podscape for people not to be thrown off by that stuff and to look for today's mom and pops that I think 
you know, you and I have the potential to be tomorrow's song exploder. One can hope, right? And that we're fostering communities. You know, I call the Patreons the soldiers of sound, not because I'm the commander or the general. I think that's fantastic. And I think that's a good ending statement. I appreciate you coming on. This was a really, really fun album to delve into. The fact that you chose this album speaks a lot, I think, to the passion you have for music in itself and how in-depth you are. We've talked about discography. You got nine-hour, 13-hour, five-hour fucking interviews. That's You're not going to find that anywhere else. So any of our listeners, go check Dave out. Go check the podcast out. You hear how much he cares. You hear how in-depth he gets with his 94 fucking pages of notes. Uh, <laughs> and I've never, I've never missed a week. We've never missed a week. We haven't either. Keep going forever. Who knows what's going to happen? That's amazing. After three years, because sh- yeah. life, life happens. So to be it able, sure does. And so to be able yeah. to keep it up with David, hats off to that man. Because I'm afraid of anything happening in my life. Oh. Well, if I was doing three a week, I think I'd be, I'd be yeah. in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on. If you need anything, you just let me know. And you too, if you need anything it gets so lonely doing what we do and if and if i could help you in any way even if just giving an ear i'm all about it awesome dave thank you so much go play with that cute little kid i definitely will thank you david oh, I-